Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I am Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. Ben, what's happening? You had to deal with your mom yesterday? Something you had to take care of? No. Actually, it was oh. the upcoming class. The There was a, oh. a problem with the room reservations. And oh, so that's I, right. I, I don't had know to why like... I thought it was... <laughs> um, but maybe I should call my mom. <laughs> not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So you got the room sorted out, so your class is not going to be homeless? Yes. Um, and actually had the opportunity to talk to the ABA, which is right next door. I, I knew they were down the hall, but I didn't realize they were right behind my office. So Yeah. Um, yeah. And they have, they have some meeting space as well, which we may end up using, which is exciting. Really? Yeah. Cool. Infiltrating the American Bar Association. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We tried to like talk to them about how, oh, wouldn't it be great to help these future attorneys? They didn't seem to care. <laughs> they're, they're like, great. Yeah. Well, we'll see if we have room for them. <laughs> wow. I mean, not that they didn't, like, not that they were cold. I just thought they might be like a little more excited that we were all in the same, you know, field of law. But <laughs> they're like, I don't care. Yeah. I'm busy. <laughs> uh, okay. Today on the show, uh, we are going to do an LSAT fundamental about uh, grouping games, logic games, grouping games specifically. We're going to talk about some tips and tricks for uh, how to tackle games that have grouping elements. We're going to review a personal statement. Um, yeah, I think that'll basically be the bulk of the show today. Um, you can email the show anytime, help at thinkinglsat.com. When you do that, please uh, send a selfie if you can so we can put a uh, picture with our uh, email. You can listen all sorts of ways, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or just thinkinglsat.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps people uh, find us. Reviews everywhere are, are always really good. So love us or hate us, please uh, drop us a review and um, help to spread the word. This show is going to air on March 4th, uh, so upcoming events. Uh, March 6th, Ben, we're going to go live on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's going to be at 10.30 PST, 1.30 EST. You can RSVP at bit.ly slash TLSAT underscore two. (laughs) We'll also have a uh, link to that on um, thinkinglsat.com and all of our social media. So uh, please do RSVP for that so that we can uh, get a head count. And um, you can ask your questions when you RSVP. You can ask questions in advance. So if you want to get something on the agenda for our uh, first ever uh, Instagram live, you can please RSVP for that. Again, it's uh, March 6th, 10.30 a.m. Pacific time, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, March 11th, I'm going to be at Berkeley talking to... You know what? I don't even know who this group is, but it's ULHS. It's got to be a future law something at Berkeley. I don't think I've spoken to that organization before, but I'm going to do my talk on um, the upcoming changes to the digital LSAT. So you can also find us on social media and RSVP for that event. That's 7 o'clock on March 11th. I think that's a Monday. March 16th and 17th, we're going to Vegas, Ben. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. I just, Live. just bought the tickets, by the way, plane tickets. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, I still need to get my room reservation f- sorted out, but uh, 
we are going to be uh, teaching class all day Saturday, all day Sunday. The class is going to go from 12 to 7. And then uh, Friday night, we'll have drinking LSAT with the folks. Uh, we'll be mingling around in Vegas. Uh, anything you want to say about that Vegas class? Oh, it's going to be fun. I, I hope people can come. <laughs> yeah, I hope people can come too. It's uh, it's always delightful to teach um, together. Uh, those classes are, are super fun. So whether you're... Um, putting the finishing touches on a March test attempt or, or just kind of getting started and trying to ramp up for June, I think it'll be a, a really great time in Vegas. So please go to thinkinglset.com and sign up for that. I guess I should say that um, the enrollment for that class is a little faster than previous classes, so it is filling up. So if you're interested, yeah, I would suggest jumping on that and, yeah, just go to thinkinglset.com and sign up. Yeah, I, did, I, I think the room is going to be like a little smaller, right? We have sort of limited spaces, so it is going to be good for people to sign up sooner rather than later if they want to make sure they get a seat for that. Um, March 30th is the next LSAT. Um, if you're signed up for that, it's March 30th. If you're not signed up for that, it's too late. Sorry. April 19th is going to be the uh, March score release date. April 23rd, I'm going to be at Seattle University doing that same talk again about the changes to the digital LSAT. That's a little bit far out there, but if you are in the Pacific Northwest and you want to come see me in Seattle, I'll be there on April 23rd. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, time to, ooh, well, let's talk about the demon. Oh, yeah. So uh, we did a sprint on Tuesday. We had a few changes. I would say here are the big ones. We added an explanations tab to the menu. If you click on that, you can just go straight to our explanations. It's sorted by test. Uh, so some people had been asking about this. Actually, a lot of people had ask, been asking about this. Some had made some workarounds and tried to edit the URL to go exactly to the explanation that they wanted to go to. But um, now you can just do that through the app. It still has some bugs that we know about, but fundamentally it works. So we get, decided to go ahead and release it. Great. <laughs> Last time I mentioned that people could now start doing the timed sections for games and reading comp, but yeah. what we did not realize is that the fourth passage explanation or the fourth game explanation was not showing up for some reason. That's been fixed. Thank you for <laughs> okay. telling us about that. So the game and the passage themselves were coming up, but it wasn't going to the explanation. That's right. So you, you oh, okay. Yeah, and some people wrote, <laughs> I, I'm so glad that I got none of them wrong, but I'd still like to see the video <laughs> for the game, so please <laughs> yeah. help us out. So that's cool. been fixed. Um, so another bug was fixed just with the ability to save. You can select which tests you want the demon to serve up to you in the drilling oh. so you can avoid tests. You can't select specific tests, but you can select a range of tests. And okay. that wasn't saving for some users. Again, I don't know okay. why that works for some people, but not for others. But that has been fixed at this Great. point as far as we know. Now, this is the other thing. You and I were talking about this last time on the show, and I had misunderstood the user's feedback. Uh, I think you know Frankie, right, maybe from uh, the Facebook group. She had been saying, look, I do a question in logical reasoning, for example. I then hit submit, and all of a sudden, not only do I see the help explanation, but I also see the correct answer in green. And she was saying, if I get it wrong, I'd like to know that I got it wrong, but not see anything else. And so we've added that step to logical reasoning. So what happens is you do the question. If you get it right, you're instantly forwarded to the explanation and the correct answer. If you get it wrong, 
all that happens is that the answer you chose turns red. So you know that you got it wrong, and then you have the opportunity to think about it a little bit longer or click help and then see the answer. Great. So you can do the question again in the in the dark. In the dark. That's blind, right. Blind, do it again. In other yeah, words, great. we're not like, yeah, showing the correct answer not to you. Not just giving you the right answer. Yeah. yeah. Good. So thank you, Frankie, for clarifying that. And we implemented that, at least in logical reasoning. Uh, we'll work on reading comp and games next time. That's a little more complicated. But yeah, those are some of the updates. Oh, I would should also say that Max has been doing a great job managing the Slack group. And he is planning to email all the current and former trial users of the demon as as well and just trying to get them into Slack and get their feedback. Um, A lot of people post feedback in there. He responds very quickly. We use it as a a way just to figure out everybody's experience and what they're suggesting. We can't obviously implement all their suggestions, but if you are a current or formal trial, trial user, free trial user, Please look out for an email from Max. Um, he's going to be inviting you to join the Slack group, and in there you can provide instantaneous feedback, and he's responding to everybody super fast. So it's a really great way to help us stay connected with you and implement your suggestions. So anyways, look out for that. Yeah, for the foreseeable future, we're still plowing all of your dollars for the demon right back yeah. into demon <laughs> development. So um, we we need that feedback so that we can make smart decisions about what we do Um uh, during That's all right. of our development no. sprints. So yeah, thank you. I want to say much thank you to everybody because the user base continues to grow. Like every day, more and more people are joining, which is exciting. Um, for those of you who are using it, you have noticed that occasionally there'll be little glitches or hang time. That's partly from just the growth and also the new features that we keep trying to roll out every time we do. It adds a little bit of complexity, but we're then going back and putting money into increasing the performance. So it's a constant struggle, but I feel like we're moving in the right direction and it keeps getting better and better every day. Thanks to everyone's feedback. So, and, and participation. Excellent. I have an announcement here. Uh, when I was in Salt Lake last week, I got to meet up with uh, producer Sarah, which was awesome. That to is cool. Meet I'm Sarah. jealous. Yeah. I haven't met her. Yeah. Yeah. Never. <laughs> you have not. Yeah. She's like, feels like an old friend, but um, yeah, it was cool to to get to see Sarah. She came to my talk uh, at the U, as they call it, uh-huh. uh, University of Utah, and we had we were brainstorming a little bit and decided that we needed to put together a like best of thinking LSAT podcast. Oh, okay. And I think the best way to do that is to crowdsource the the like audience favorite moments from the show. Okay. Uh huh. So we have created a form, just a quick little Google form. Um, that's at bit ly slash best of tlsat we'll also link to that everywhere bit.ly slash best of tlsat and you can submit your favorite moments from the back catalog of the show so if you're one of these people who are going back and uh, re-listening to the old catalog if you want to point out stuff um, in old episodes that you think belong on a best of thinking lsat podcast please uh, submit those and we will curate those and uh cut together a best of episode for you. We can use that as a backup, Ben, in case we have technical difficulties and can't record the show one day, which uh, certainly does happen from time to time. Technical difficulties or personal difficulties? 
<laughs> just all kinds of difficulties. <laughs> we've been doing this for long enough that we've had we've had some uh, yeah personal ups and downs and some technical ups and downs. Uh, shit happens, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Oh, I, w- I wanted to give a PSA. This isn't on the agenda, Ben, but I got a very excited text message this morning from a student who had retaken the LSAT for a third time. She was coming off a 172 and a 173, but she thought she could do better. Okay. So she retook the yeah. test. Um, those were official, 172 and 173. Yeah. She had already applied to all these law schools all over the place. But she thought she could do better, so she took it one final time. At her uh, testing center, there was some crazy snafu where the proctor forgot to give the five-minute warning. Mm. Just said, time's up all of a sudden. At the end of a section, everybody freaked out and complained. The student thought she got screwed to the tune of maybe a few questions because she it was like logic games and she didn't finish the fourth game and... She was really disappointed because she didn't even get to bubble in her guesses for the last like few questions. Yeah. LSAC annoyingly held the results from that testing center because I guess so many people had complained. Oh. Gave her the option. They sent her an email and said, hey, you have the option. To cancel? <laughs> of, of canceling if you want. Wow. Okay. Yep. Without knowing so the score, obviously. Without knowing your score, they gave her the option to cancel. This was like three weeks after the test. They they send her an email saying, "Hey, because of irregularities, we're going to offer you this. Yeah, you you can get it like a delayed cancel if you want." Huh. And she seriously thought about it because she's applying to, you know, she's got an application in at Stanford, and she's, you know. Well, she's really wanting to go to the best of the best law schools, and she's already got a 173 on record, which is a great score, right? Yeah, yeah. So she was panicking. Should I cancel? Should I cancel? And she's like real worried. Like, what if it comes back lower? You know, yeah. Stanford's going to see that, and they're going to hate me if it comes back lower. Because <laughs> I took it a third time. Yeah. You know, they're going to think they're going to know that I'm a fraud, basically. Yeah. yeah. So I say. My standard advice, which is, listen, if there's a 10% chance that you scored even one point higher, you should keep your score. Yeah. Because law schools only care about Expected value, right? 10% times the expected value of the increase versus 90% times the expected value of the decrease (laughs) or the pain. Yeah, and the expected value of the decrease is essentially zero, right? It's like only it it will bruise your ego Mm -hmm. and nothing else. Because law schools only care about your highest score. So I think she really thought about it. I think she had her, like, she didn't give them the decision right away. She actually, like, waited and thought about it and, like, obsessed and asked me a million times what I thought. So her score came back today and it was a 178. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> she, <laughs> she was seriously considering canceling. Yeah. And it's a five point increase. Yeah, and uh, so now she's one seventy eight for the rest of her life, and you know now it's like, listen, you're you're going to Stanford. Yeah, you know that's it. If they don't admit you this cycle, you should withdraw all your applications everywhere and reapply at the beginning of the next cycle with your one seventy eight, mm-hmm. and and apply mm-hmm. to Harvard and Stanford and Yale. 
Yeah, what's her GPA? Or did, it's, did you it's, say? It's only like mediocre. Um, she had some health problems while she was in school, so I think it's like a three, five or something middling. But hmm. she had a really beautiful personal statement and a one seventy eight, and she's a great candidate in a million other ways. So, like, I really do legit think she's going to Stanford. Yeah, um, I thought she was going to Stanford with a one seventy three. With a one seventy eight, I think she's definitely going to Stanford. So. The, your story reminds me of a, a student who just wrote me. She had scored officially, I think she had started in the 150s, and then when she was finished with my class, she scored, I think it was either 163 or 164, I can't remember. And then she she was a strong candidate, she had a high GPA, so she ended up applying to a lot of great schools, but decided to retake, nevertheless, and... She had been accepted at some top schools. I can't remember which ones now. I think Georgetown and been waitlisted at UVA, despite only having a 163 or 164, um, which is a a little bit lower for those, especially for UVA. And um, (laughs) she decided to retake. Anyways, she got a 173. Or 172. Shoot, now I'm getting my numbers mixed up. But it was a 172 or 173, and I was just like, holy smokes. And I said to her that, look, first of all, I'm glad that you retook it. Second of all, um, I I think it's definitely going to help you, which was the whole reason for retaking it, even though it was late in the cycle and you've already applied. But listen, if if these schools don't come back with offers, then I think you should just – reject them all yeah. and apply next cycle. Cause if you go in the next cycle with a very high GPA, a one, I think it was a 172, a 172 and clearly a good personal statement because you've done better than you should have been doing with your numbers. I mean, your GPA is high, so that's probably helping you out a lot, but whatever it is that you wrote them, I know she's an impressive student, so I know it's gotta be good. You're going to, you're going to get money at these places and and you're going to get into some of these higher rank schools that have ignored you with your 163. Oh yeah. <laughs> 10 point improvement on the LSAT. Yeah. Is you're you're a different candidate. You're you're like not the same candidate anymore. <laughs> you were a great yeah. candidate, now you're an awesome candidate. Well, the thing that's interesting to me about that story and and yours as well is that like when people start applying and they start doing well with those applications, I mean, she did get accepted, even got some money at some some decent schools. It's so tempting just to to be done, right? Like, well, this this is this is all I could do officially, and these schools are looking at me and they're they're throwing me offers and maybe even some money here and there. But take it again. I mean, 10 points is a no-brainer, but even three or four is huge. So, yeah, I mean, just another PSA. Total, well, 100%. <laughs> it's a great power move. I love it when people do that, withdraw all their offers and just say, fuck it, I'm going to start over at the beginning of the next cycle, especially yeah. with a better LSAT score. Yeah. The schools will still be there. <laughs> it will be here before you know it, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, September 1st is right around the corner, y'all. So... Yeah, <laughs> why not? If you're not happy with your offers this cycle, you you just it's choosing a law school is like getting married. That's a big ass commitment you're making to that school. Yeah, it's three years of your life 
plus the name that's going to be on your resume for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. plus a life-changing amount of money. Mm-hmm. And, like, why do people rush into it, Ben? It's like, why do people get married at 22? You know, it's just like, well, this is the best offer I've got on the table right now, so I'm going to take it. <laughs> well, I can't comp- I can't say too much about that since I got married when I was 23. No, I mean, that's, but... <laughs> that's exactly why you can say something about it. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't work out. I could have thought of, I don't know, like it wouldn't hurt to wait, you know? <laughs> to wait, yeah. When would to, it ever to hurt it. to wait a little bit? And I hear you. Yeah, so it's like, I, I don't know. It's just It's just the ultimate power move to just say, you know what? I think I can do better. I'm going to try the LSAT again. You know what? I think I can do better. I'm going to withdraw all my apps. Thank you very much for admitting me. I'm just, it's not, the timing is not right. Like the offer is not right. The timing's not right. I'll talk to you in September. Reapply on day one of the next cycle. <laughs> it's like, you cannot possibly hurt yourself by doing that. I don't know why more people don't do it. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are worried that it's going to look bad. Like they said no <laughs> to them. But, um, they don't know why you're saying no, and uh, if your application does get better, if you have a higher LSAT score, they're going to like you even more. You were dating them, you went away, and now you come back, and it's like you've been working out all summer. And they're just like, wow, I liked you before, and now I like you even more. <laughs> totally. I, I mean, yeah. And also, I mean, students are way overthinking it too, right? Applicants think that like the school is just has this like dossier on them and is constantly like <laughs> monitoring their, their moves. Oh, I you remember know? Sarah last yeah. year. She said no to us. <laughs> yeah. She hurt our feelings. And so, no, we're going to out of spite, not admit her, even though she's reapplying with a better LSAT score. We wanted her last year, but after she scorned us, no, like mm-hmm. she's, a, that's mm-hmm. just a hard no from us, even though she's a better yeah. candidate now. Fuck that. They yeah. don't even remember. They're, yeah. They're doing the same negotiation with 500 other people. And they do the same negotiation every single year with 500 people. Mm-hmm. You're nothing to them. They don't give a shit. You're a customer. They want to sell you a JD. If they wanted to sell you a JD this year, they're going to also want to sell you a JD next year. <laughs> like, come on, everybody. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, let's do this fundamental. What do you think? Sounds good. So we are rebooting uh, the way that we teach LSAT. We're doing it on the show live for y'all. We've gone through fundamentals on how to study for the LSAT, general stuff about each of the different sections. Um, We did a fundamental about logical reasoning question types. We did a fundamental about conditional reasoning basics. That was the last time. Mm -hmm. It's episode 176 or 177, right, where we started doing these. So this is our fifth or sixth one. Mm -hmm. So today we wanted to talk about some some techniques that are particularly useful on logic games that have grouping elements. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm intentionally not calling these grouping games. I'd I'd rather Mm -hmm. refer to them as games that have elements of grouping (laughs) in them. That kind of feels like... (laughs) The artist formerly known as <laughs> something. Yeah. Well, the, my point is this. I, I really think people shoot themselves in the foot when they like do a whole bunch of drilling logic games by type. 
Yeah. Because if you do 10 grouping games in a row, you start to think that they're like, you're going to, on the day of the test, you're going to see a big title at the top of the game that says grouping game. Yeah. And that's not a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, there are far more hybrid games on the test than people imagine. Yeah. Um, Many, many, many games have some elements of grouping and some elements of sequencing or just who knows what it is. Yeah. So we're going to talk now about a couple tricks that you can use when they are having you put things into groups. And that can be, there, there can also be other stuff going on in the game. But like, for example, you can sometimes just ignore the sequencing or you might be able to ignore one of the dimensions in a grouping game and just only focus on grouping like part of the game, right? You can, you can like focus on, Oh, well we have to do other stuff, but Mm -hmm. we have to divide these people into two groups. That's part of what we need to do. Sure. Okay. And then bring it, bring to bear everything that you know about grouping when you group stuff. Correct. Yeah. So, and that, and that's my like overarching goal with when I'm teaching logic games, I'm like, listen, I want you to improvise. I want you to have a whole bunch of tools and just get out the appropriate tool for the appropriate situation. Not like mm-hmm. have a template memorized where this is the, you know, Ooh, on that exact type of game, I'm going to use this exact formula. That is not at all what I'm talking about. Yeah. What I'm talking about yeah. is just having skills and then being able to pull those skills out when you know, when it's appropriate, when it's useful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. So where's a good place to start with this? See the assholes first. I really like that one. I like that rule, but before we talk about it, I guess we should just clarify what we mean exactly by grouping games with grouping elements. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Give an example. So most games tend to have variables. I like to think of them as people, regardless of whether they're people or not. And those variables tend to range from like three or four variables to sometimes as many as eight or nine variables. But the point is, is you have those variables or people. And when you have a game that has grouping elements or is asking you to group things together, basically what they're doing is they're saying, hey, look at these seven people. Let's call them seven. Let's say there's seven, for example, seven people in this game. We want you to now put them into certain groups. Maybe they give you three groups. Maybe there are three teams and these seven people need to be assigned to these three teams. And the teams may have a different number of people on each team, right? In some games, they tell you that there's at least one person on each team. In some games, they tell you there's exactly two people on each team. In some games, they don't tell you at all. And in those games, actually, a lot of times people wrongly assume that there has to be at least one on each team, but that's not necessarily the case. But the point is, is that you're given variables and then you're given two teams or three teams or four teams, and you're trying to put those variables or people on those teams. And so when you have that going on, you have a game that has some grouping elements. And I like your seat the assholes first tip because these kinds of rules come up all the time in games that have grouping elements. Yep, it's one of the most common things. It'll basically just be, we got, you know, team one, team two, and we got George and Martha who can't be on the same team. Mm -hmm. 
And what it, it's kind of obvious, but people need to, to like, we want to make this explicit so that people will look for opportunities to do this. It's really very powerful, surprisingly powerful and surprisingly common. If you have a rule like that, we got team one, team two, seven players. Everybody's got to be divided into these two teams. But George and Martha can't be on the same team. Seat the assholes first. So the the metaphor is like, listen, you're making a seating chart for a wedding or something, and you have to put people into seats. When you have people who don't get along, they are more of a pain in the ass. They're assholes, George and Martha. I mean, I don't know who did Mm -hmm. what to whom. But the two of them are a pain in the ass. The two of them together are assholes because they have this problem with one another. Yeah. And so what we do is we reserve a seat on each of the two groups for George slash Martha. I don't care who's where. It's like y'all can sort that out between yourselves. You know, who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of you go over there. One of you go over there. And so that first move in that game would be to put a G slash M Or sometimes you just put G in one group and M in the other group and then put a handle connecting the two. Same difference, right? Yep. Yep. The point is you're reserving space for – you just know that one of those two assholes has to be in each of those two groups. The powerful thing that happens is that it then restricts the number of people who can go in each of those groups. Yeah. For example, if team two only has two spots in it, Well, one of them has to be George or Martha. Mm -hmm. And so then that now restricts there's only one other person who can possibly be on that team. Yeah. So just to clarify here, if you have two people and the rule says George and Martha cannot be on the same team or can't be together or whatever, and you have two groups or two teams, then you know that George is going to go to one of those teams and Martha is going to go to the other. If you have... Three teams, though, right? You don't necessarily know where the assholes go. What do you What do you do in that situation? Do you just wait, or what's your thought there? Yeah, if there were three groups and I had George and Martha can't be together, I don't know. That gives me too much flexibility. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a problem. Mm-hmm. Flexibility is a problem. So, I don't know. I mean, depending on the the rest of the rules. Mm-hmm. I very likely might end up making worlds, you know? I mean, if like George was mentioned in another rule, for example, yeah, then it would be very tempting to make three worlds based on George because Mm -hmm. I would know where Martha's not and it would trigger whatever the other rule was about George. I don't know. Is that where you were going with that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just, it, it depends exactly like what you're saying on the other rules, but it is a great opportunity to create worlds, especially if like, Let's say that you have three groups or three teams, same thing, and maybe one of the rules is that Frank and Sarah have to be together, and one of those teams has exactly two people or can only have exactly two people. Well, it may not be obvious at first, but if you knew that Frank and Sarah went on that team or was assigned to the team with exactly two people then you've now taken a three-group game and effectively turned it into a two-group game yep. because Frank and Sarah take up that one team. No one else can go on that team. Yep. So now there are only two teams left, which means George and Martha See, the assholes. have to be separated. Yep. Yeah. So go ahead and so, reserve a spot for the assholes after that because that one group got closed. Yeah. 
Exactly. So the cool thing about worlds is that you can use it to get rid of groups and create like a three turn a three group game into a two group game yep. or even a four group game into a two group game if that's what ends up being left yep. once you start doing the worlds. It it also pops up a lot on the if question. So even if you hadn't made or uh, if you didn't make worlds um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, an if question will be like, "Hey, if Frank and Sally are the entirety of Group One, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Well, now I get to see the assholes in Groups Two and Three with George and Martha." Yeah. Right. Yep. So, just look for opportunities, um, both in your setup and on the if questions. When you see one group close, you very frequently can see the assholes. Or if it's just a two group game to begin with, you very frequently can seat the assholes from the very like just right from the jump. Yeah. By the way, um, this tip that you have, seat the assholes first, is a specific example of a more general principle that I like to advocate, and that is turning negative rules into positive rules. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what you've done is you've taken the negative rule, George and Martha can't be together. And you've turned it into the positive rule, G and M have to be separated, so at least one's in one group and at least one is in the other. And like you said, now you see that one of those seats is taken up. People don't see that as readily, if at all sometimes, when they leave it in the negative form, right? When they leave it as G and M can't be together, it's like, okay, is this, it's just not as concrete. In general, negative rules, what isn't going to happen, it's like, what is that stuff in space? Black matter? <laughs> Dark matter? Dark matter. Yeah, it's like, I can't believe I called it black matter. Dark matter, right? It's like, okay, it's the absence of, like, we can't see it. It's it's just not, it doesn't speak to us. But, like, positive rules in general are much more, or easier to digest and play with yeah. and make inferences from. I mean, so I think this is following on to that same point. I would much rather have a solution than have a rule that lives like in like off on the side. <laughs> so yep. yeah. let's say, um, I mean, so let me talk about in out games. First of all, I always ask my class like, Hey, when do I use an in out game or an in out mm-hmm. template? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally in out is more useful when there's a fixed number of spots. So, you know, the, the, you know, the famous like f- uh, friends in a photograph game, Mm-hmm. I never mm-hmm. treat that one really as in out because okay. I don't know how there's no minimum and there's no maximum. It's just like, Hey, these are all the rules about who can go with whom. Mm-hmm. And so the out group there isn't very useful because the out group never gets full. Okay. But mm-hmm. if you have like, Hey, we have to select exactly five out of seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when I would immediately go to an in out template because now I have mm-hmm. five spots exactly in my in group. And yeah. even more important, I have two spots exactly in my out group Mm -hmm. and I can, if I can fill the two spots in the out group, then everybody else has to be in the in group. So that's where the in out template I think becomes really useful. But what I wanted to get to was suppose we have a rule that says L and M cannot both be selected. Yeah. Hey, do you mind if we step back for a second and just talk about in out? Because I think that may be unfamiliar to some people. I think the traditional definition, or at least the definition I've always thought of, is that 
in-out games or games that have in-out qualities um, <laughs> yes. or formerly known as in-out games. Yes. Um, those games are grouping games. In other words, you're trying to take people and put them into groups. It's just that these grouping games are special in the sense that they only have two groups. They have an in-group and an out-group. And they got that name because some of the earlier games talked about people being selected or not selected, being in or out. But the point is is that if you have only two groups, then you're always in this situation where you could apply the assholes rule, right? Because there are only two groups. There's not like a, a third option where people aren't assigned to either team or something like that. There's only two teams. And so in-out games are basically just grouping games that have only two options for every variable. And, and there are frequently other elements to it, right? So it'll be, it will frequently be, hey, pick five out of seven and put those five in order. Yes, so you could. Uh, that's true. That would be an in-out game combined with a, uh, an ordering game or, you know. Well, yeah, oh, no, but it's a hybrid only. game, Ben. I'm going to panic. I'm going to shit my <laughs> pants now because it's a hybrid game and I don't know how to do hybrid games. Well, it's like, listen, you know how to, do, you know how to put things in order and you know how to put yep. things in groups. On this game, you're mm-hmm. just going to have to do both of those at the same time. Relax. Calm down. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. do the grouping part first, probably. Like, think about who's in, who's out. Mm-hmm. We got five spots in the in group. Let's not even worry about ranking them just yet. We got two spots in the out group. Okay, so mm-hmm. we're going to have to divide them five to two, five in, two out. And then the five that are in, we're going to have to think about the sequencing. But we can put that off for a minute and just focus on this grouping element. Yeah. Okay, so can I get to my rule if L, no, yes. no M? Yes, please. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thanks for the I mean, clarification. Sure, but like people, especially if they've never heard anything before, <laughs> they have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. We're picking five out of seven, and there's a rule that says if L is selected, M is not. Mm-hmm. Or the same way, another way of saying that same rule is just um, L and M cannot both be selected. Yep. Students love to write that rule down as a conditional, mm-hmm. and they'll write if L, arrow, no M. Ooh, got to do the contrapositive too. If no M, or sorry, if M, then no L. Yep. <laughs> and they probably, just like I was about to do right there, start fucking it up because they're like doing it in this weird abstraction, writing it down in all these like secret hieroglyphics, right? Yeah. There's a much easier way to deal with that rule in this context. It's similar to seat the assholes first. Yep. All you have to do, if you have a rule that says if L, no M, Mm -hmm. all you have to do is reserve one of the spots in the out group for L slash M. Yeah. And so, like, (laughs) there's absolutely no point to writing that rule down. Mm -hmm. It's worse, actually, to write the rule and the contrapositive. That's dumb. Yeah. We know for sure that one of the spots in the out group has a little reserved plaque sitting on it that says reserved for L or M. Yeah. And that's it. That's all you have to do. You have incorporated the rule. This is your thing, Ben, of making a positive rule mm-hmm. out of this. In this case, it's not a negative rule. It was just this weird. Ab, it was a rule. It was a, it was separate from your solution. You know, I yeah. can't have both L and M in my solution. Yeah, okay, well, tell you what, how about we just reserve one of the out spots for L slash M, mm-hmm. and we're done. Yeah. 
Well, I think <clears throat> sometimes it's hard for people to have faith in that, right? They're like, wait, what? That's all I have to do. But isn't there this like, <laughs> if then rule and what happens if L is in? <laughs> and what happens if M is out? Or actually nothing happens if M is out. But if, if you think about it for a second, so the rule is if L is in, then M is out. Yep. And the contrapositive is if M is in, if M goes to the in-group, then L has to go to the out-group. And what, what you're saying, Nathan, is let's go ahead and in the out-group write L slash M. Yep. Which means, in one of the, the spots. Way, in one of the spots, which means that you have to have an L or an M in the out-group at all times. Yep. Now, sometimes people misinterpret that, too. They, they look at that and they think, oh, okay, so I have to have L or M, which means if I have L, then M all of a sudden has to go nope. to the in-group. And that's, that's not what we're saying. Nope. We're just saying that what must be true is that you have L or M in the out-group. And as long as you do that, we don't care what happens to what I like to call as the twin, the other L or M. Um, it can go anywhere. It can go in the out group. It can go in the in group. Yeah, as long as words, there's still a spot available in the out group. Yeah, if there is a spot like, available. I didn't say group, right? that that L or M can't go in that spot as well. What I did mm-hmm, say was mm-hmm. L or M for sure has to be in this spot right here. Yeah. The other one could also be out as long as there's room for that other person to be out. Yeah. But so <laughs> rules only matter to the extent that they can be broken, right? Mm-hmm. Like once That's a rule right. can't be broken, then we don't care about that rule anymore. That's right. So if the rule says you always comply with it. Yeah. If the rule says if L, no M, I can immediately just go, oh, so one of my out spots has to be L or M. As long as one of my outspots is L or M, then the rule can't be broken. So now I get to forget about the rule. It yep. just gets baked right into my solution. I get to forget about it, which frees up my you know, brain cycles for <laughs> solving other elements of the game. That's right. Yeah, I, I think it was hard for people is letting go of the if-then statement because they don't see why L or M in the outgroup makes it so that you can never break that rule. But if you, if you walk through the scenarios, if, if you have L or M in the out group, and the rule says if L is in, then M is out, and you put L in, well, your little rule in the out group that says you have to have L or M in the out group is going to force you to put M in the out group, just like the rule originally said, because you now have L in the in group, right? And the same thing is true if you put M in the in group, the rule or the contrapositive says you have to put L in the out group. Well, your little L or M in the out group is telling you, look, you've got to have one of these out here. So if you end up putting M in the in group, then you've got to put L in the out group. So that's, you can't violate the if then statement. Now, the question also comes up is like, well, why is it the case that I always have to have L or M in the out group? And that's simply because you can't put both of them in. If you try to put both L and M in, one of them is going to get kicked out. So in all your scenarios, you're going to have at least one of L or M in the out group. Yeah. If either of them were in, then the other of them would have to be out. So we know for sure that at least one of them is going to be out. So we Mm -hmm. just reserve a spot in the out group. I think I want to do this other example. Um, This is one of my favorite examples to do in the classroom. Um, it might be you know better to learn it via video, but um, 
I think we can do it via audio. Uh, mm-hmm. What I like to do is I write on the whiteboard. I, I propose two rules for the class, and I say, "Hey, these rules have no bearing on one another, but the purpose is for me to teach you the difference between the form because they superficially look the same." So here's the two rules. You ready, Ben? I'm ready. All right. So I go on the whiteboard and I I write on the left side. I write if s no c. So s arrow c crossed out. If s no c. Yep. And on the right side of the board, I write if no m then D. Mm-hmm. So it's an M yep. crossed out and then an arrow and then a D. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I ask them to consider on the left side, if the rule is if S no C, is it possible to have S and C together? That's number one. I put, I write one S C and then I write mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. just S no C. Is that possible? And then I write three just C no S. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. And then I write mm-hmm. number four. Is it possible to have neither S nor C? And then I do the same thing on the right side of the board. I say, is it possible to have M and D together? Is it possible to have just M but no D? Is it possible to have just D but no M? And is it possible to have neither M nor D? And I give them a minute to think about it. And I see them scratching their heads a little bit, like, huh, what? They're the same, aren't they? And then (laughs) I go, no, they're not the same. They're definitely different. Yeah. If you do the contrapositive of those two rules, that might help you, I say. Yeah. So the rule on the left was if S, no C. What's the contrapositive there? If C, no S. Okay, thanks. And the rule on the right was if no M, then D. The contrapositive mm-hmm. there? If no M, then D. So then if no D, then M. Right. And everybody can do that because everybody knows the magic formula for a contrapositive. You just switch the order and you switch the signs. And... For some people, they still now look superficially similar. Yeah. That's people who just really haven't yet grasped the difference between sufficient and necessary. Mm-hmm. Other people start to look at that and they go, oh, wait a minute. On the SC rule, the sufficient condition is always positive. Even when you take the contrapositive, yep. the sufficient condition there is either S or C. And mm-hmm. the necessary condition is always negative. If S, yeah. no C. If C, no S. Ah, because when I compare that to the M and D rule, I have the sufficient condition on both the rule and the contrapositive is negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If no M, hmm. Oh, and then that forces a positive necessary condition. If no yeah. M, I have to have D contrapositive. If I don't have D, I have to have M. Hmm. Okay. So now, and then I'll have them tell me one, two, three, four. What are the possibilities mm-hmm. on each of the two sides? And the answers are different. Yeah. I find it interesting that people people do better on the left side than they do on the right. And I, I guess that's really the point of the exam of this like whole lesson. Yeah. Everybody looks at that and they go, okay, well, number one, S and C together, that's not possible. It's right on the yeah. page. If I have S, I can't have C. Okay, good. So I cross that out. Not possible to have S and C together. Everybody yeah. also usually does pretty good on two and three. They go, oh, well, if I have S, I can't have C. Yeah, that's right there. I see that in the rule. Mm-hmm. But it would also be possible to have C without S. In fact, that's the contrapositive of the rule. If you have C, you can't have S. So yeah, sure, it's fine to have just S. It's fine to have just C. So those work. And then they look at the fourth one, and some people will say that's not possible to have neither S nor C. Mm-hmm. Most people, though, will go, oh, yeah, it's fine to have neither. The rule is you can't have both. 
if S is there, yeah. we can't have C. And if C is there, mm-hmm. we can't have S. But there's nothing that says we can't have both of them gone. Yeah. And that's correct, right? That is correct. Because if you, if you have not S and then you think that you must have C, well, then you're going backwards. You're confusing sufficient for necessary. Be... Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So then on the right side, this is where everybody always makes their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And they tend to do it right off the bat because the rule again is if no M, we must have D contrapositive. Mm -hmm. If no D, we must have M. And the first thing is, okay, so is it possible to have M and D together? And people go, nope. And Mm. that is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The rule says when one of them is absent, it forces the presence of the other. But it's totally fine to have both of them together. Mm-hmm. That's the real big fundamental difference. The SC rule eliminates the possibility of both, but the MD rule, it's totally fine to have both. Mm-hmm. The sufficient condition there is negative and the necessary condition is positive. There's nothing wrong with having both of them there. If the, if you have them both, the rule didn't even get triggered. Yeah. Everybody then goes, okay, it's totally fine to have just M without D. It's totally fine to have just D without M. No problem. And then they tend to fuck up again on number four, where I say, is it possible to have neither M nor D? And they, and they go, well, sure. <laughs> but that's just a direct violation of the rule. The rule says if you don't have M, you have to have D. Yeah. And if you, ha- if you don't have D, you have to have M. So it's not okay to have neither M nor D. So I cross that out on the board. And then I'll, I'll just say, look, look at the difference. Look at the difference in the form of those two rules. It's really like once you see it, you know, it's like real, it's blindingly obvious once you see it, mm-hmm. but people have mm-hmm. a real hard time seeing that from jump. They just think they just, they just think that those are the same rules. Yeah. I then like, I, I like to do it in the abstract first and then I'd like sort of take it out of the abstract. So mm-hmm. I say, listen, if the rule on the left had been, if Superman is at your birthday party, then Clark Kent is not at your birthday party. Okay. If S is Superman and C is Clark Kent. And then they go, oh, yeah. If I look and I see Superman, I'm not going to also look around the room and see Clark Kent. Mm -hmm. Contrapositive, Mm -hmm. if I see Clark Kent at the party, I'm not going to also look around the room and see Superman. But it's totally possible that I see neither Superman nor Clark Kent at my birthday party. Yeah. Right? So the rule, Mm -hmm. if S no C... That eliminates the possibility of both, but it does not eliminate the possibility of neither. Mm-hmm. And then with mm-hmm. M and D, I say, what if the rule was, if mom's not taking care of the newborn baby, then dad has to be. Mm-hmm. Contrapositive, mm-hmm. if dad's not taking care of the newborn baby, then mom has to be. But it's totally fine that they both take care of the baby. Aw. See? You talk about babies in your class? I do. What's... <laughs> What's not okay is to have neither M nor D because the rule mm-hmm. was if somebody's not there, the other person has to be. Mm-hmm. So that's how I compare the two or that's how I like, that's how I like to teach it because then I like, then later I can ask people, I can go, Hey, is that rule like Superman and Clark Kent or is that rule like mom and dad taking care of the baby? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I also then have to apologize for my example being like heteronormative. But the thing is, if I used two moms or two dads, then it would like 
the abstraction wouldn't make any sense, right? If D, wait, wait, no D. You have to be. You have to apologize for the fact that it's heteronormative. Well, I like to apologize for being heteronormative. Hmm. I'm a nice guy. Anyhow, I I, que- I question that assumption, <laughs> but um, I mean, I I feel like it's just it's part of life. There's lots of moms and dads out there. There's lots of moms and moms and lots of dads and dads. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, but nothing like bringing a little controversy to help remember this, right? <laughs> I just like to be uh, as inclusive as possible. So, um, yes. Anyhow, the then I I do sometimes take it one more step, which is what if Superman and Clark Kent had a baby together? So, mm-hmm. in other words, what if both of these rules were active at the same time? What if Superman mm-hmm. was mom and Clark Kent was dad, mm-hmm. and both of these rules were active at the same time? Then is it possible to have both? Is it possible to have neither? Is it possible to have one or the other? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Ben? Superman is mom and Clark Kent is dad. Both of the rules are active at the same time. Now what happens? Wow, they're both active at the same time. Well, then they're mutually dependent, right? So you're either going to have both of them or you're going to have neither. Uh, exact opposite. Actually, yeah, wait. So you can't have Clark. How is that even possible? It makes perfect sense. Trust me. If if mom is Superman and dad is Clark Kent, mm-hmm. both of these rules are active at the same time, mm-hmm. then if Superman's there, Clark Kent's not, that rule is still active. So we can't have both of them in the same room together. And then if we don't have mom, we have to have dad. So that means mm-hmm. they can't both be gone. So yeah. if both of the rules are active at the same time, then that means there's always going to be one of them and not the other. Yeah. You're always going to have... Wait, who is Superman? Was Superman the dad or the mom? I said Superman is the mom. It doesn't matter. Point is... If I got you. I'm just it, saying that if you have Superman, you're going to have the mom, too. And you're not going to have Clark Kent. And you're not going to have the dad. But you will always have one. Right, or the other, or the other way around. Mm-hmm. But the the point I'm trying to get across is that it's the Superman and Clark Kent rule that eliminates the possibility of both. Mm. And it's the mom and dad rule that take that eliminates the possibility of neither. Mm. So when you have both mm-hmm. of the rules active at the same time, then that means you can't have both and you can't have neither. So you always mm-hmm. end up with one or the other. Got it. Anyway, it's more fun with a whiteboard, but that's <laughs> I I do find that it, it's you, you remember the game with um what is it, Jacqueline and Lorena and Grant, the man who must always be on stage? I do know what you're talking about now. Yeah. I always think of them as, as variables. But yes, now that you're referring to them with their full name. Yes. Yeah. Jacqueline mm-hmm. and Lorena, both of those rules are active at the same time. There's a rule that says if Jacqueline, no Lorena. There's also a rule that says if no Jacqueline, you have to have Lorena. Yes. Yes. And I, mm-hmm. like people, people superficially, they see that and they think that it's the same rule. Like they don't get it. They just don't understand that that's actually two separate rules. Yeah. One of those well, rules. Why did the LSAT say this twice? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's like no, they did not. That's that they don't do things like that. Like they, mm-hmm. they're one of those rules makes it so that one of them is always off stage, and one of those yeah. rules makes it so that one of them is always on stage. Yeah, and it's the latter of those two that forces Grant to be on stage because there's a rule that says if any woman is on stage, then Grant has to be on stage. I like it. Okay. What else do we need to talk about under uh, grouping shit? Well, so uh, can I just add one thing? So yes. I like your Superman, Clark Kent, mom, dad example. It's, it's intuitive. It's easy to remember. 
I would add one memorization tip to that. This is just what I tend to say when um, okay, great. I'm talking about these if-then statements, right? So a lot of times these if-then statements come in the form of if-then originally, right? So the LSAT says to you, if L, then no M. And what I like to say to people is, look, if the arrow in the if-then statement is pointing to the outgroup or to the negative, right? So in our example, if L, then not M, the arrow is pointing from L to not M. So it's pointing to not M. If it's pointing to the negative, if it's pointing to the outgroup, then you know at least one of them has to be out. And if the arrow is pointing to the positive, so if the rule is um, if mom is not there, then dad is, notice the arrow is now pointing to the positive yep. or the dad being there, um, then you know that at least one of them is in, you know that at least one of them has to be there. So one shortcut is just look to the arrow. What's it pointing to? Is it pointing to the outgroup or is it pointing to the in-group? If it's pointing to the outgroup, you know at least one of them is out. And if it's pointing to the in-group, you know that at least one of them is in. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, in the, my new way of conceiving of the games, I don't know that I would ever even write these rules down as conditionals in the first place. Because this goes back to what we were just ta- what we were talking about earlier, which was if I see a rule that says Superman and Clark can't can't both be at the party, mm-hmm. it'd be mm-hmm. real. It, the, the easier way to deal with it is to in the out group just put a reserved S slash C on one of the seats. Yeah. As long as I put either S or C in one of those seats in the out group, I can't break the rule that Superman and Clark can't can't both be at the party. Sure, they could both be out as long as I have a missing as long as I have an open seat in the out group, they could both be out. Mm-hmm. But to satisfy the rule, to bake the rule into my solution, I just write S slash C in one of the spots on the out group. It's so simple. And then mm-hmm. same thing with the mom and dad rule. If the rule is yeah. um, you know, if mom's not taking care of the baby, dad has to be. Or if the rule was at least one of mom and dad have to be taking care of the baby at all times. Mm-hmm. Well, an easy way to deal with that is to put an M slash D on one of the spots in the in group. Because mm-hmm. as long as I have one of them, I've satisfied the rule. Yeah. Now, I, that does not prevent me from having both. It just, I, I have to, at a minimum, have one of them. So I'll just reserve one of my spots in the in group for M slash D. Yeah. It would be a much cleaner way, but if you, I'm like picturing it right now. You know, if I had five in spots and two out spots, one of my in spots says M slash D and one of my out spots says S slash C. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, what else we got? Yep. You know, like it's too easy. The, the conditionals can both just be incorporated into the solution instead of having these weird abstractions over on the side of my page with a list of rules and all the contrapositives and all this mumbo jumbo stuff. It's like, well, well, yeah, okay. Or I just reserve these spots. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. And I just, I know we've said it already, but just to emphasize, if as long as you have one of those things in the out group or one of those things in the, in the in group, depending on the rule, you've satisfied that rule. It's over. You never have to think about it again. I think that's the hard part Correct. that people let go of. It's like, wait, but the, if then, it's there. I don't care. It, it means yeah. something. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. As long as you have at least one of those people out in the um, Superman and Clark Kent example, yeah. you will be fine. You're never going to violate that rule. Right. And so that's all you have to do. And the other variable can go wherever the hell it wants. Yep. And with mom and dad, it's as long as one of them's in, we're good. 
I don't care about the other one. I care about the first one. The first one is the thing that's going to satisfy the rule. That's going to keep us from breaking the rule. So as long as we don't break the rule, we're good. I don't care if it's mom. I don't care if it's dad. One of them has to be here. And then the other one can go do whatever they want. Yep. Great. The last thing I would say about games formerly known as grouping games or games with grouping (laughs) elements is that uh, in general, these games will tell you that there has to be at least one in each group. But that's not always the case. So unless you see that rule explicitly, um, don't make that assumption. Now, that is generally the case. And in a lot of these games or games with grouping elements, they will tell you exactly how many are in each group. But if they don't, um, and instead they tell you something like, hey, this group has to have at least two, and this other group has to have more than this other group, well... A lot of times it might feel like there's a lot of different arrangements, but when it comes down to it, there's often not that many. There may only be three or four different ways in which the groups can be numbered. In other words, the number of people in each group um, may only have a few possibilities. And if you can figure those out, then it's a great opportunity to create worlds. We did talk about that last time, but... Um, it's just something I'm always looking for in grouping games because if you can specify exactly how much are in each, how many people are in each group, almost always the game becomes substantially easier. Yeah, and you might even have to like infer that from the rules. So like to look at the Superman and Clark Kent and Mom and Dad thing again, if they didn't give you any minimums and maximums, you wouldn't really know. Except you would know because of the Superman and Clark Kent, you know that there's at least one person who's out. Yep. And that, that can be huge. Yeah. And, and because of the mom and dad rule, you would know, well, there's at least one person who's in. Mm-hmm. And then if there were other rules about numbers or, you know, rules that forced certain people in or out, you could start getting yeah. a pretty good idea of how those spaces are going to be distributed. And yeah, if there's only two or three ways to do them, hey, why don't we just pencil those out and see what happens? Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, while I'm on that, I, I, we did last night that game. Remember the red team and the green team? And they like, you had to appoint a... Um, a leader for each of the two. Yes. Mm-hmm. That game is a great example of a game where worlds based on numbers just makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, for sure. I feel like it, it's like four groups or something, right? Or four worlds. If I remember you can, if you want, or you can incorporate them into two templates, two templates works just as well. It, do, it doesn't matter. I mean, two to four, yeah. like we, I was having this discussion last night with students. Some students are like, Oh, well I'm just going to, you know, split the two into four and that's fine. But you can also incorporate yeah, all the yeah. solutions into just two templates. Um, in that game, you just don't care about which side is red or there's green or something, there's right? fi- right. well that or there's five total spots in the game, right? And two of them mm. there's a minimum of two on each team, so that means you have one spot to play with. Yeah. So if you start by making two worlds, uh, one where the red team has three and one where the green team has three, mm-hmm. you get to seat the assholes in that game as well. Yep. So you take up two of the spots and then they tell you where one of the people lives is yeah. on the green team. Yeah. And so then in one of the worlds, because you seat the assholes and because you put L, I think it is on the green team mm-hmm. in the world where green only has two, it has to be L with either J or O. And so now the green team is full mm-hmm. when the green team's full, then the other two players have to go on the red. And so there's an example of where, it's both things at once, right? It's worlds based on the number of spots. Yeah. And it's also seeding the assholes first in order to be able to make the big inference that these other two who I think they were like wild cards 
but the other two then get forced onto the red team because the green team is just full in that scenario. Yeah. All right. Do you think we beat up grouping games strategies enough? Wait, what is it that we beat up? Sorry, games that have grouping elements get formerly known as <laughs> <laughs> grouping games. Yes, I do believe we have beat those things, whatever they are. Well, you know, I mean, just to like with that one, the game that we were just talking about, that game had the additional element of like figuring out who the leader is or whatever on each of the two groups. Yeah, Somebody think, is the leader. What do somebody's people call not. that? Like assignment or something? I don't even know. I don't fucking know. It. It's like the semantics for all that stuff just doesn't matter. That's that's what the point that I really want to get across. And that's why I don't like yeah. calling these grouping games. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. listen, yes, you're putting things in groups, but there's other shit that can go on within that same game. Mm-hmm. And with that game particularly, if you just ignore the leader thing for a minute, you can sort out the groups like a lot. Yeah. And if you sort out the groups, then okay, now all we have left is just this like leader element, which isn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's important for people to realize is like you can just sort of ignore certain elements of a game sometimes and just solve yeah. the easy parts or like mm-hmm. you've got some skills, use those skills to solve the parts you can solve and mm-hmm. then sometimes, and then go back and reconsider the other parts. Yeah. All right, that's all I got for that. <laughs> Sorry, your heteronormative comment reminded me that just the other night I did the uh, married couples game. Have you done that game in a while? Uh, no. That sounds like an old game. I don't even know that game. It's very old. Yeah, and I don't remember because I always just focus on the variables. But I'm sure it's like um, heteronormative. A, despite LSAC's, you know, left, left-leaning reading comp passages, I'm uh-huh. sure it's heteronormative. So they don't like to, they don't like to rock the boat too much. <laughs> well, I I think that they'll be they'll be they're going to be they'll be more and more sensitive to that type of stuff for sure. I think they'll be more sensitive, but actually, I'm sure they'll choose the safe path and just completely avoid the topic right they just won't do a married couples game ever again. <laughs> yeah that's probably right they're they're probably not going to have a whole bunch of two dads and two moms going on <laughs> i mean they should because why not that's like real life but instead they'll just like totally ignore yeah <laughs> that's funny anyway so cool Okay, so we'll wrap up our LSAT fundamentals right there and move on to pearls versus turds yeah, let's do it. All right, why don't you read this? Sure. So, f- so far the scoreboard is one win. So, apparently, there's <laughs> one pearl out there. <laughs> it's encouraging for the world. Um, there's nine losses, so nine turds, and three ties. This one is advice given to an emailer from Vanderbilt alumni interviewer. Apparently, Vandy has alums interview applicants. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, somebody who took the LSAT. Several years ago, probably did well and has wisdom to share, supposedly. (laughs) Yeah. Quote, you should ask for scholarship money immediately after being admitted to a school. Hmm. Well, I like the idea of asking for scholarship money, but I would prefer to ask with, I guess, leverage in hand. Like if I got accepted to another school that was less important to me and they gave me money and I could say I've been offered X dollars, I feel like that's a little more persuasive than just asking for it outright. 
But maybe this interviewer is suggesting this so that you tap into the scholarship money before it's gone. I don't know. What's your thought or reaction to this? My thought is people are always asking me, how do I ask? Like, how, mm. how, what's, the, what's the perfect ask? And mm. my response to that is just fucking ask. Just mm-hmm. do it. Just ask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stop planning. Stop strategizing. Just like you want more money from them, ask them for more money. I don't care how you do it. I don't really care when you do it. I do want mm-hmm. you to do it. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, if this alumni is just saying like, hey, you got to ask them. You remember, you, you know, you got to ask them for more money, right? Yeah. <laughs> if that's yeah. what they're saying, then this is a solid gold pearl. Okay. Wait. Yeah. Pearls are not made out of gold. Um, this is a uh, pearl, <laughs> just a pearl, regular pearl. If it's it, platinum, it's, it's a platinum pearl. <laughs> it's pearl set in a beautiful gold setting. Um, okay. It, but I mean, I don't know. The immediately does seem a little bit absolute, and you, you know, you could be a little more thoughtful about the way you do this. Um, I don't hate it though. Like, you do need to ask, and you might need to ask them multiple times. So. If you're serious about this school and if you really want to get the best deal you can get, Mm -hmm. I don't know why you wouldn't just ask right away. Do it professionally, but go Mm -hmm. ahead and ask. Worst they can say is no. I mean, do you really think that you're going to shoot yourself in the foot with the negotiation just because you ask immediately and they say no and then now you're done, like you're screwed? I don't don't think it really works like that. I think you could ask again a few weeks later when you do have – you know, the, the, um, ammunition, the, uh, competing offer or whatever you were, mm. you were going to show them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason why not to ask them again three, three weeks later. Right. Yeah. I mean, circumstances have changed. And so it would make sense to follow up and say, Hey, look, I did get this, uh, offer and now I'm seriously considering that I would like to, I like to get information. So my personal style would be, okay, I just got accepted to this one university. I think I'm likely to hear from this other one soon. Just going in and with that information would be more comfortable to me. Like I would I would rather not send an email asking for money and then a week later being like, oh, here, update. I, I kind of agree with you that it's probably not going to be a huge problem and if it's holding people back. But I guess I just don't mind waiting – couple weeks get information get accepted so the immediately is rubbing me a little bit the wrong way but if it prevents you for whatever reason from asking then you should just ask immediately i want to give it a tie on the scoreboard I say that yeah we give it a tie okay i got it's a tie not a bad idea to ask but maybe it doesn't need to be immediately the second you get the uh <laughs> the offer of admission but i i like it though this that this uh alumni interviewer is out there uh <laughs> telling the applicant <laughs> to ask vanderbilt for more money that's yeah uh, that's uh, vanderbilt maybe needs to choose a little more wisely on which alumni like, they have a lot or maybe it's a strategy <laughs> right maybe it's a strategy like I'm going to give you some inside information. Yeah, totally. And the the admissions office is just planning on like, okay, so we're going to lowball them at first. You yeah. tell them to ask for more money. They do, and then we give them like five grand. We give them a little bit more, and they're like, woo! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got more. Hey, I'm one last going. note about the negotiation. I mean, if they say no, that doesn't mean you can't ask them again. And if they say um, we don't negotiate scholarships, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also think you could ask them again, like. <laughs> It, well, listen, yeah. walking away it's not is not going to hurt, right? Yeah. Walking away even is not necessarily the end of the negotiation. So yeah. 
if they say, you know, if they come with the hard line, like we don't negotiate scholarships. I mean, I heard the other day, this is the most ridiculous, like we don't negotiate scholarships, but we will reconsider your scholarship offer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can ask, we will, we will reconsider your offer, but we don't negotiate. Hmm. Well, okay. <laughs> what is that if it's not just fine, call it what you want to call it. Will you please go look at my scholarship offer and, you know, consider giving me more money? Yeah. <laughs> Reconsider. <laughs> God. Um, when they say we don't negotiate, I think you are, it's, that doesn't mean like you have to take their offer. You can always just say, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I'm going to take this other offer over here. Thank you very much. Nice to do, nice, nice talking to you. Um, I'll withdraw my application from your school. We have seen instances where the school then turns around and goes, oh, actually, yeah. we do have money for you now. Yeah. No, that was not a negotiation. We don't negotiate. <laughs> but as soon as you walked away, <laughs> we re reevaluated your offer. <laughs> we speak right. in code. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's lawyer shit, right? So anyway, okay, enough about the negotiations. Should we dive into this personal statement? Let's do it. I should... I think we we have time just for this. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just wrap. We'll do this and wrap it up. So this email, I'm going to see if I can read this quickly. It says, hi, Nathan and Ben. My pre-law advisor sent me a handful of personal statements as a reference. And personally, I thought they were all atrocious. They were all very negative and melodramatic. I think everyone goes through hard personal stuff in life, and that's not so unique. I chose not to focus on the negative for my personal statement. Instead, I thought about a time that I was very proud of myself and wrote about that experience. Would you mind giving it a review? It's probably not perfect, but I'm hoping the tone is appropriate and on track for what admissions officers may be looking for. If you think it's a good example, please feel free to share and read on the podcast. I appreciate any feedback. Um, cool. Okay. I th I'm not going to read these questions. I think we should just dive into the personal statement. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good. My okay. guess is that it's probably not perfect. I'm sure it's not perfect. I mean, it's <laughs> it's very hard to find per, to to get to perfect. You know, I mean, maybe there is no perfect. Um, yeah. It it needs to not have typos when you submit it, and it needs to be. You know, you want to put your best foot forward. I like uh, this is Tex, by the way. I like what Tex is saying here. Um, I agree. Boy, in our personal statement service, <laughs> we see a lot of people. People submit a lot of negative melodramatic bullshit like just here's all the things i've been through yeah i feel like it's just like i don't know if this is the right use of the phrase but like this come to jesus moment where they feel like they can connect and be open and honest and the person will reciprocate and be like oh yeah i hear you like yes but that's not how it is at all it's, it's like it's because of like Hollywood and people feel like they have to show the worst. Like they have to enter with here's me at my worst. And then like this overcoming story. Yeah. But in two pages, you don't have very much time for like that big of a narrative arc. And so I, and I even really, then like, I, I don't necessarily know that you're, <laughs> you realize the impression you're giving. Because sometimes these overcoming stories are overcoming stuff that's not that impressive. If it were impressive, that's one thing. But a lot of times it's like I I got my life together and, and now I go to all my classes. It's like, uh, sweet. Yeah, like 
I come from a religious small town and it was hard for me to break away from that. And then I left and went to the big city and it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. (laughs) Tell me about like your job. Tell me about like what you do. Tell me about what you're good at. Or like, yeah, it's so hard when my best friend came out as gay and, you know, I had to support him. And uh, it's like, yeah, yeah. All right. (laughs) Like get to the lawyer shit. Mm -hmm. This has nothing to do with you being a kick-ass lawyer. I, that, that reminds me of the swim class personal statement. Yeah, <laughs> that that was yeah. You you want to show yourself as a winner. I mean, you want to put your best foot forward. You want to emphasize your skills and your experiences. Um, the more adult, the better. You're going to differentiate yourself by making yourself look like a successful grown-up person. And you telling about all these drama, you know, trauma that happened to you. Oh, I'm the I was a child of immigrants, and I didn't know how to speak English until the third grade. It's like, yeah, yeah. All right. Like that's, I do feel for you, but that's not the really the point that's documents not supposed to be about that. This document is supposed to be about like what kind of skills you're actually bringing to the table, not what you didn't used to have, <laughs> but what you do have now. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would say too, one more thing that might be helpful, especially for all of us. I mean, it was helpful for me. I've mentioned this book on the show before, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, but that guy went through so much shit growing up. It just, it's a, it doesn't mean you go through it as you read it, but you read it and you start to think, okay, um, there's people that have probably gone through even more shit than he's gone through. But the fact that he's gone through this, maybe I should not keep complaining about whatever happened (laughs) last week or when I was growing up because it doesn't even compare. It just helps, uh, I think, all of us move on from our first world problems, you know? Yeah. if they're not first world problems. I mean, his problems, Anyways, just an interesting book to read and get a little perspective on some of the problems. Other people having it worse than you. Yeah. I mean, you could also like think about your grandparents, like almost everyone's grandparents had a harder life than they do than they do now. Yep. And so think about your grandparents or your great grandparents and then just like stop with all the whining. (laughs) I don't know. Like stop telling me me, at least (laughs) like you don't have enough time to study for the LSAT, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. (laughs) I don't, I don't care. You're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. Um, You know, like get some perspective on just like how hard everyone has it uh, compared mm-hmm. to you. you. You don't have it that hard. So yeah. well, I want to hear about the good things. I don't want to, I just don't want to hear about the bad things. Okay. Here's this personal statement. Ready? Sure. In 2006, I received a job offer for the property manager position of an apartment community in Folsom, California an upscale neighborhood just outside of Sacramento. All right, let's stop and talk about this. First sentence, one of the most important sentences, if not the most important yep. sentence in your personal statement. I like that this is about text, text. Yep. Uh, I don't like the fact that it's passive. I like that it has the I like that it has i in it. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got i and then a verb, but i received, yeah, is a passive thing. Mm-hmm. It's also like I received a job offer. Why is that your story? I, I, let's hear about the job. I mean, let's hear about you yeah. doing things at the job. I know that you have this job. It's on your resume. So this, people, yeah. you know what? This is a really common line. Now that I think about it, people do this all the fucking time. They love mm-hmm. talking about when they got the job offer. Yeah. As opposed <laughs> to uh, in 2006, I was managing an apartment community. Um, 
of disgruntled residents. No, actually, I wouldn't, don't know that I'd say that. But let's get into what you were doing or what the, what you were struggling with. Even move beyond the yeah. abstract word manage. Like um, you were negotiating <laughs> uh, issues. I'm actually curious where, where this is going now. But anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This it's a lot of it's you're wasting a lot of space here, Tex, with just like even the whole thing about like an apartment community in Folsom, California, and upscale neighborhood just outside of Sacramento. Yeah, no one needs to know that. I'm not here to learn about Folsom, California. I, I don't give a shit where what's outside of Sacramento. What's that have to do yeah. with anything? These yeah. are just like fact. I mean, they're facts, which is good. Details, facts are good, but like, the, why? How's that relevant? Like, we, are you a lawyer? I, I'm not seeing you as a lawyer right now. I'm picturing. Folsom, California, um, the suburbs outside of Sacramento, and I'm picturing you getting a job offer to be a property manager. All Sounds right. like you're going to be si- – I honestly see you sitting at a desk. I imagine that given that you're writing about this, it's going to be much more than that, that you had a lot of responsibility. But right now I'm honestly seeing you at a desk checking people in and being like, hi, how's it going, Miss Stevens? Yeah. <laughs> Right, receiving packages from UPS, <laughs> um, like sending people email about like the Overdue elevator way. is going to be closed and people need to pick up the dog poop outside. I don't know. It just doesn't really seem. Yeah. Okay. So let's. We, yeah. That's why we got to get into like here's what I actually did. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The current owner purchased the 324 unit community with the intention to convert the apartments into condominiums and then sell them individually. Despite converting and selling 44 units as condominiums, the decision had been made to abandon the original plan and keep the remaining 280 units as apartments. A full renovation of the remaining apartments would take place along with a rebranding campaign to lease the new units at a premium price, semicolon. This would be the most upscale renovation completed in the relatively small town. This is way too much about some development that I don't give a shit about. This is a personal statement for your owner. Yeah, it's it's like a story of – it's a very mundane story, by the way. Like this is the type of shit that happens all the time real estate developers think that they're going to sell all these condos and then they don't end up selling them all. So then they end up having to keep them as apartments. Like, yeah. So (laughs) this is like, Tex is not doing any action here. Nope. Tex has not done anything actually so far. Tex Tex has received a job offer. Received a job offer that somehow came to him. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We got like eight sentences or not eight sentences. We got like four sentences in and Texas has, has received a letter or a phone call and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, this sentence right here makes me angry. Yeah, it is. Angry. It's the, angry. The next sentence text sucks. It says this was a very unique situation. Ben, I think we could do yeah. a half hour on how much we hate that sentence. <laughs> I think we can. let's start with very and then jump into unique. Maybe. <laughs> You never need to put very, period. Yes. Don't put very, ever. Yep. And don't put it in front of unique. Gosh, that's like (laughs) you just threw a dart at someone and then you're like, take it out and you stab it into them again. Yeah. Unique is already a superlative. You do not need to modify unique. (laughs) It either is or is not unique. And by the way, it's not fucking unique. Nothing is unique. So unique <laughs> means one of a kind, and nothing is one of a kind. 
<laughs> Especially not from this. Maybe Donald Trump. Donald Trump is one of a kind. <laughs> there, there are things that are unique, and it is it is okay to say unique if you really fucking mean it. But yeah. like lawyers are language people. Like we, words matter to law, law type folks. Mm-hmm. And when you, this is a complete misuse of the word unique that you are using it inappropriately. Not only that, but modifying it by very, not only that, but passive construction, this was, Mm -hmm. and it's telling (laughs) without facts, just telling me that this was a unique situation. And I'm like, fuck off. Last problem, or at least one more problem. (laughs) It's overselling right now. All of a sudden it's gotta be very unique. Otherwise your reader is going to be like, Hmm, I don't think it's that unique. And now you've just, that's the problem with telling, right? Is that the reader can now start to question it, giving you the exact opposite response that you want from your reader. You want your reader to be following along and buying in. Now you're actually pushing them away. Say what you did. Just say what you did. That's it. Yeah. Say what you did. Show me a story of you doing cool things. Say what you did. Don't tell me anything about it <laughs> don't but 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 nathan we need context <laughs> yeah we and we realize... oh but i have to get to my conclusion i have to get to and this is why i want to go to law school because this will make me a great lawyer because <laughs> <laughs> like no i'm uniquely situated to... yes oh i have a passion unique passion for the law because no none none of that no telling just just show me what you did okay here, here, text continues. Along with standard management duties, the challenges of the site would entail pending lawsuits, semicolon, negative news media reports, semicolon, mold in vacant buildings, semicolon, upset community members, semicolon, irate condo owners, semicolon, and an aggressive business plan that needed to be executed in a timely manner. Text, your semicolon privileges are revoked. Yes, they are. So let's let's talk about the rules for semicolons. Since we are talking a bunch to fu- a bunch of future lawyers, um, you can use semicolons to create a list of things, but only if there are commas in those lists. And I will tell you something. And I'm talking about if there's a comma like within one of the list items. Only lawyers do that. And I still don't know why they do that. If you're going to have such a god-awfully long sentence that requires a list of things and the things themselves are so long that they require commas within each other, you really should just be writing new sentences. So the only time you can use semicolons as a list is if you have commas in your things that you're listing, and you really shouldn't be doing that, even if you're a lawyer and you're that annoying. This could already just be commas instead of the semicolons. There's no yep. absolutely no need for these, these semicolons. Text also uses a semicolon and then the word and, which is not correct. Um, semicolon means and. So you well, don't need actually, to do that. I think it, it would be correct if this were a list of things, but he shouldn't even be doing these lists, right? Yeah. It, it, uh, what, and this is still mm. like... <laughs> This is this is still passive. It's not about it's not about like what you did about it. Like yeah. you need to just get right into I had to like, you know, 
I had to respond to these lawsuits. Like I would get, what did you get served papers? Like, or what does the lawsuit have to do with you Tex? What did you yeah. do about it? If you didn't did you, do anything about it, then I don't care. Yeah. Your, your owner, this is all about your owner. Yeah. So far. Negative news media amazing. reports. Like it's it, like just listing lawsuits, reports, mold. Well, tell me what happened with that and what you did to respond to it. Not just list out all the challenges. Like, uh, uh-uh. Okay. I mean, text don't feel bad. I would say that in the vast majority of cases in which we work with people on their personal statements, or not only <laughs> blow up their entire first sentence, we often blow up their entire first draft. But the first paragraphs almost always go. It like the entire first paragraph and entire first page very frequently. Like people just don't start their story at the right spot. They nope. they 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 that's they think that they have to do way too much introduction. I mean, I'm already hating this, by the way, that this is in 2006. Like, Tex is an adult person. And oh, I didn't even, like, notice that. Jeez. Yeah, that's the first two words is in 2006. I'm like, huh? Yeah. It's 2019. What? <laughs> I don't what have care. you done since then? Yeah. For 13 I mean, years, you've been the same project manager? Property yeah, I, manager? I get it that he's going for a moment where he was proud of himself, but he should have told that if he needs to tell this story, he can tell it in two sentences and then get to the part of like, what do you do now though? Like who are you today? The the big problem here, Tex, is, is, is that if you end up telling this story, even if it's awesome, the underlying message is that you've not, you haven't done anything better since. And yet we're always moving forward or we should be to some degree, right? Like, you're 13 years older than you were then. Jeez, that's this is, not, is this a typo? Maybe it's 2016. No, uh-uh. I was 24 years old at the time, and despite working in property management for four years, I had only six months of experience in the role of property manager. So, no, I'm going to – I suppose it could be a typo, but I, I'm assuming that Tex is actually like almost 40, mm. thir- 37 years old, and is now writing about a time when he was 24 – and it's like that people don't realize that their age is a differentiating factor that is a positive, like a big positive. If you're in your thirties, mm-hmm. you need to like show up looking like an adult on your application. So yep. now Tex is making me look, he's like a kid now. He's got a property, he doesn't have really an experience. He's sitting there as a property manager, 24 years old, he got his hands full. It's like, oh, so it's just another kid. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're intentionally making yourself, <laughs> you're going out of your way to make yourself look like every other kid who's applying to law school yeah. instead of potentially showing me, show me what happened in 2018 and 2019. Show me adult shit. Show me like grown up work shit that you're doing now. Cause that, that really does separate you from all the other kids who are applying. Yeah. You know, only a 30-something can write about being a 30-something-year-old. <laughs> Everyone can write about being a 20-year-old. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if we can get through this. Um, I saw this as an opportunity to gain valuable experience and further develop skills as a manager. The company had just adopted a brand new software program, and unlike everyone, unlike anyone else within the organization, I had extensive training. Based on this and the challenges of the site... I successfully negotiated a salary of $10,000 above their initial offer. I believed the property's current situation couldn't get any worse. I was motivated and eager to start the challenging role ahead. I accepted the position and relocated to Folsom with my husband and our two-year-old daughter. Over the next two years, the U.S. economy slipped into the Great Recession, 
and the housing crises commenced. Uh, that should be crisis, I think. She's got yep. crises. Mm-hmm. The city of Sacramento experienced quite a blow and outpaced the nation's foreclosure rate by threefold. That's don't say that. Say that a different way. That's not correct usage there on by threefold, I don't think. Many of the homeowners and renters in our immediate area began losing their jobs. As housing values crashed, many homeowners blah blah blah. Okay. This is still text about something else. Yeah, Tex, what are you, where are you in this personal statement? I'm getting two paragraphs about the housing crisis of 2006. I, um, yeah, and this is strange. The only I sentence that's active, like, this is what I did. Like, you said you saw an opportunity. That's still a little passive. Um, I had only six months of experience. Again, that's just state of being, not actually doing anything. The one thing you say here is I success successfully negotiated a salary of $10,000. That's you doing something. But even though it's you doing something, it comes across as, I don't know, look how much money I made. I, it's not, it's not something that I would put in my personal statement. Just, I negotiated for a little bit more money t- when I was that, 24. Like, so is that, isn't that that's not really what this is about though we want to know what you did in your work unless you're like a negotiator if that's your job and you're a successful negotiator maybe this sort of fact would be interesting but i i want to know what you did as a property manager actually i want to know what you did last year but if you were a property manager last year what did you do i settled a case by doing x i don't know all this about it's just she's just kind of rambling about like what happened during the housing crash she's trying to create context right which is what everyone's doing they're trying to say look how bad it was and this is what we overcame but it's you only have to say housing crisis of 2006 and we'd all know that it was bad right the the people who are reading this are familiar (laughs) with the with what happened in the end of the two thousands. Yeah. Like we were adults. We, I mean, they all probably had mortgages and stuff at the time. So they know what's going on. Like you're not, you're not writing this for a 20 year old who doesn't know about the housing crisis. You're writing this for an adult person who definitely went through all of this stuff too. Yeah. So you're just telling me things I already know, which is just, it's kind of insulting, honestly. Right. It's like just, well, why are you boring me with shit I know about? Yeah. I mean, I think she's trying to say, look, this city or the city of Sacramento was was so much worse. But the problem with this is it's still just – we get it. It was bad. It's kind of like saying someone was a million dollars in debt versus they were $100 million. It all, It's just – it's all just like a lot of money. Like it, it doesn't necessarily change things a whole lot. I, I Yeah, I we need to get either – yeah, don't tell this story at all or tell me you doing things about it because otherwise I don't I just don't care. My I'm here to learn about you and what you do. I'm here to learn about your skills and your experiences. I guess this is an experience that you went through, but it there's nothing unique about it. It's not special. Everyone went through this. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Okay. I quickly oh, realized hey, sorry, oh, random. Yep. <laughs> Text, you do say one other thing that you did do. You said I accepted the position and relocated uh, with my husband and our two-year-old daughter. Even though this is not necessarily a fact that um, you might ultimately want to keep, 
it still is something to me that speaks to you as a person. Like I read this and I hear, oh, she got a job. She took action. She got other people on board, her husband and her daughter, and they're like, let's go. This is this is proactive. Like it speaks. It's funny because it's just a fact, but it says something about you in the way that none of these other sentences are saying anything about you positively. I mean, I'm not saying they're saying anything negative. They just don't say anything at all. Whereas that sentence actually tells me, wow, you're this proactive person who's going out and um, doing things. It's the power of I did X. Okay. Yep. I quickly realized that we would not meet our occupancy goals given the current labor and housing climate. Significant changes to our existing operation would need to be made to account for the new rental environment. I worked with our director of operations to adjust our qualifying criteria to allow for exceptions to those affected by the housing crisis. I made additional creative suggestions such as the acceptance of larger pets, which many former homeowners had. As more people met the new qualifying criteria, we stayed on track and began to hit our occupancy targets with ease. See, now we're now we're getting somewhere, Ben. We are. This is much better because this is you doing something and winning. Yep. You, you can like the entire first two paragraphs could probably just go and you could start with some, you know, start much more like this. I would I would actually I wouldn't even mind like <laughs> I accepted the position and I moved my family because that says some other things too about you. You have responsibilities that other people don't have. And then this is the job that I had. And then, but then we hit the crisis and here's what happened. That's, that's two sentences. And then you're right into this. None of nothing about the, like they were supposed to be condos and ended up being (laughs) like, that's so irrelevant. Nothing to do with you. Yeah. Um, All this stuff has to do with you. Like you, you've got, you're, you're coming up with creative solutions and you're successful. And that's what I want to hear about. Um, okay. So when you started hitting your occupancy targets, this allowed the opportunity to begin charging ancillary fees, such as pet rent to increase our monthly income. As our occupancy began to exceed our target, our rents increased and outpaced our competition in the market. During my first year on site, I managed through significant property construction semicolon, became well-versed in mold and hazmat remediation, semicolon, (laughs) met aggressive occupancy and rent growth targets, semicolon, and found creative ways to overcome obstacles. Yeah, text, no more semicolons for you, ever. No more lists, too. People do this all the time. Lists are boring. They're boring. Like, pick one of these things and talk about it. Yeah. In detail. Totally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. What did you do for mold and hazmat remediation? The fact that you became well-versed in it doesn't really tell me anything. It doesn't make me go, oh, sweet. I want you in law school. Like right. that, That's okay. You learned on the job somehow. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. At our annual property, sorry, at our annual company meeting, I accepted the Rookie Property Manager of the Year Award with a great sense of accomplishment. Hmm. Uh, I don't want you, I don't, I don't want you to be a rookie. I want you Mm -hmm. to be a, a, like a killer. I don't, rookie doesn't say killer. Also you like telling me how you have a great sense of accomplishment about the rookie property manager of the year award. It just sounds like minor league. It doesn't, it diminishes the office. Honestly. Yeah. It, it diminishes your actual achievements to talk about this award. It does. That's not helping you at all. Yeah. It's, the, it's, ha- it's having the exact opposite of its intended effect. Um, 
Look, I mean, so hey. just to go back here, like this second sentence, right, in this paragraph, I worked with our director of operations to adjust our qualifying criteria to allow for exceptions for those affected by the housing crisis. It's yeah. a little wordy. It's a little long. But it's you doing stuff. That's professional. I accepted the rookie property manager year award of the year. It's like um, now I'm looking at you up on stage and smiling and it's just not – you doing work and getting shit done. That's what right. attorneys the get person I want. For. Yeah, the person I want in my law school is the one who doesn't have time to go to this stupid award ceremony because <laughs> yeah. you're too busy out there like negotiating a new deal. Yeah. It's just that's yeah, get, you're going to have to strike that. Um I mean, congratulations and all. Like I'm not really I'm not I'm just saying you're not presenting yourself in the right way with this. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. That experience provided a foundation for an extremely rewarding career with the company over the next seven years. While on maternity leave after the birth of my second daughter, I went back to Texas to visit my family. I received a phone call from my boss offering me the opportunity to transfer to another site that was struggling to meet its operational goals. Wow. Is that so many words that it's not really telling me anything like <laughs> strike I think the text is like picking up on something that we said like a long time ago we talked about if you say that you got promoted or something it shows that other people see your success but i feel like that was the situation where it was like one sentence and it's moving on to your next job and now you're going to tell us what you did at your next job not I feel like this is more like way too much talking about getting the job, getting the award. Yeah, she much. got she got the job offer and now she's getting we're like having to picture the moment where she gets the phone call no, yep, about a promotion. Much. It's like, what? Just talk about the new job. Like but my successes, I was promoted two years later and boom, here's what happened. I don't yeah, yeah. need you going to Texas to visit your family and receiving a phone call and, <laughs> while on maternity leave. <laughs> I used the success at my property along with the increased challenge of the new site to negotiate a salary almost double my current pay. Yeah, there's that salary negotiating again. <sighs> that's not yeah, that's not doing anything for you. Just show us the increasing responsibility and don't you can leave the money out of it. Yeah. When I got off the phone, my stepfather looked at me with amazement. Here I am at 26 years old, making more than my parents' salaries combined and being courted by a job offer despite not actually being on site for a few months. I had to admit, after seeing his reaction and letting the moment sink in, I was proud of myself too. Just purely telling. Not, I'm not learning anything. You got to talk about your job, Tex. I want to hear about this job. I want to hear what you did. I want to hear about, like, show me you overcoming, show me you meeting these new operational goals at the new site. That's all I want to know about. I think there's something here with the salary that could be said, but the way it's being said right now, it just comes across as trying to be humble but bragging. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, the feeling I have here is that it feels like Tex is trying to say this humbly, but it doesn't come across that way at all. It just seems like... Yeah, a little braggy. Yeah. I, like, comparing yourself to your parents, like making more money than your parents, I don't know. It's, it's, it's awkward. And, and also, it's all just like 
she's now 26. Like yep. We're only 10 years in the past now. <laughs> that's, not, that's not where we want to be. Is okay, this, last, is this the pinnacle of your career? Right? Yeah. Last paragraph. As I pursued my career, my husband stayed at home with our children and completed his undergraduate degree. We both found our roles extremely rewarding. Yet after the birth of our son, I made the transition to be a stay-at-home parent as he began to pursue his career goals. Oh, I see. We relocated from California back to my hometown, semicolon Austin, Texas. <laughs> that's a terrible semicolon there. I used this opportunity to return to school and complete my undergraduate degree. I easily applied my experience in the working world to classroom lectures. I'm not sure what that means. As a non-traditional student, I absolutely loved every moment of my college experience. I've spent quite a bit of time reflecting on my most gratifying experiences. While working in property management, I enjoyed engaging with the risk management and legal team. Each time a new lawsuit occurred or an incident took place, I took great interest in following the nuances of the law and the negotiation process. As the company purchased and sold properties over the years, I found mergers and acquisitions fascinating. That's telling. As a participant on the student-managed investment fund in college, I enjoyed learning the ins and outs of investing and evaluating a company's performance. Most of all, I have taken a strong interest in asset management and wealth preservation for individuals. In my legal studies, I plan to explore state law and corporate finance law. I am confident that as, a, as I complete law school, I will be able to gain exposure and experience in these areas of personal interest and turn them into a valuable and rewarding career just as I have done in the past. Kill that whole last sentence. I hate it. Yeah. Well, a lot of this last paragraph is um, just telling. I... I Okay, so I guess we're understanding a little bit better now why you decided to talk about something that took place a while ago because you haven't done stuff recently. Although I think Anne Levine would still say, hey, look, there's still a lot of learning that can take place from raising children uh, or doing other things in your life now that are that help you grow. Yeah, I don't necessarily – I don't really want to hear about that stuff though. I mean unless you're like – Really, I just want to hear you like winning. I want to hear you yeah. like taking action, doing shit. If you're organizing the PTA, then yeah. But yeah. if it's just like I've learned so much from my daughter, I don't, eh, I don't need to hear about that. Um, yeah. So I think here maybe one thing she could do is probably just jump right to the second job. And if she does, if she did like the risk management and legal teams, what did she do with them? Just tell us about like things that you did and drop the 2006. You could just, could just talk about these. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. This is what happened. Not put a time on it. Yep. Leave the years out of it. Don't talk about, yeah, leave. You don't need to be, it's like a, it's almost like, um, she feels, um, vulnerable or something like she feels like she has to make excuses kind of, you know, like explaining why she hasn't been in the workforce for 10 years. Yeah. I don't think you even need to talk about that. Just talk about you kicking ass at your job. I would maybe want to hear more about this student managed investment fund in college, depending on how much money you're actually managing Mm -hmm. and what you're doing with it. I could, I could see myself getting interested in that story. If you're, if you make yourself look really successful. Yeah. I don't need to hear you talking about how you absolutely loved your college 
experience. It's just like, eh. It's so telling. Last thing here, Tex, at least stylistically, um, for me, I would say that uh, for all your love of semicolons, you apparently have a distaste for commas. Um, throughout, <laughs> Maybe her keyboard's broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's not just that your semicolons need to be replaced with commas, but you're missing commas throughout. Like, just look at your last sentence, which should be cut anyways. Let me give you this example. You say, I am confident that as, a com- as I complete law school, comma, you need, a, yeah. you need a comma there, but you don't have a comma. I will be able to gain exposure and experience in these areas of personal interest, blah, blah, blah. You, you do that throughout. It's like um, you have these It's a little breathless, right? Like come together. She, yeah. yeah. If you read it out loud, you might notice that you're just like losing your breath. That, that means that your sentences are too long and you, you need to tighten them up generally and yeah, use some commas to give a little breathing room. Same here. When you said, when I got off the phone with my stepfather, oh, when I got off the phone, I actually just read, <laughs> I just read it wrong. When I got off the phone, comma, you don't have a comma there. My stepfather looked at me with amazement. That those are yeah. those are separate clauses. They need to be separated with commas. Anyways, yeah. sorry. I could see Tex showing this to her smart friends. Yeah. Even even law students. Mm-hmm. And I could see people going, "Yeah, it's great." Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it cool. ain't great. Look at all these units. Look at all these condominiums. Yeah, it it is not great. I mean, there's I think Tex has a lot to work with, but she's just not she's not focusing on the right stuff. She she yeah. needs to cut out a lot of the fat here, spend more time talking about her experiences and especially her successes. Yeah. I don't need you visiting your fa- your family like your parents. It's making yourself look like a kid. I don't want you to be a kid. I want you to be a grown-up. So, yeah. if you just talk about your job and kicking ass at your job, I mean, Honestly, you could write two pages about what happened in 2006. Don't say 2006. Mm-hmm. Talk about that first situation, the very unique one. I yeah. mean, obviously don't say that, but just say, here's an accomplishment. Yeah. Like, here's what I look like when I'm in charge of shit. Here's what gets done. Mm-hmm. And then you just cut everything else out and you just like, oh yeah, look, she kicks ass when she's got a job. I mean, they're not... <laughs> Do you think she needs to write an addendum or anything like that or or mention it in the personal statement at all about how she was out of the, you know, she like raised kids and now she's a non-traditional student? Does she need I to say that or is it going to be real obvious? I, I think it, it, it might be, but I don't have a problem with a three-sentence addendum that just says, I worked <laughs> for X number of years and then um, decided to yeah. take this role at home, whereas and my husband decided to go work when he was working. It, it just shows that like that, that's life. That's, you know, people sharing responsibility for children. And then it could give the reviewer a little context, right? Like very concisely, it's like, Oh, okay. You, you were working and then you were, were not working. And then you decided to go back to school. And that's why you're this non-traditional student. I get it. Thank you. I, I could see that as being helpful as opposed to confusing. Cause I'm, I'm afraid that confusing could, you know, turn them off just, subconsciously even yeah i mean there might be a spot on the application that says if you took a break from college they sometimes ask that question Mm -hmm. like can you explain if you have more than a year off or more than a semester off or something like that will you explain what happened with your education so that might be the spot where she can answer the question and say hey 
you know, I'm a little bit of a non-traditional applicant because I raised kids and worked full time. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. Like, okay, fine. Great. Like they, they're going to get that. It's not like, oh, you had a drug problem and, you know, or like you were running from the law or something. It's just, oh, yeah, okay, people do that. Like they have kids and they go back to school. So that's, you, you can totally explain that. I don't, it doesn't have to be in the personal statement. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, are we wrapping it up there? There we go. Beautiful. Check out our uh, podcast group on Facebook. We got 1,200 plus members over there. Um, give us a like on Facebook while you're there. Check us out on Instagram. We're at Thinking LSAT on Instagram. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Thinking LSAT, at Infox, at Olson Benjamin on Twitter. Um, go to our websites, strategyprep.com, foxlsat.com to learn about our services. Uh, ben teaches live classes in DC. I teach live classes in LA and San Francisco. We do all sorts of online and one on one stuff. Go to thinkinglsat.com and sign up for our class coming up in Vegas, March 16th and 17th. Uh, those spaces are filling, so please sign up today. Uh, I think that's about it. Anything else you want to talk about, Ben? That's all. Okay. That was show number 182. Thanks, all y'all, for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>